Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcasts, particularly the Amazing World of Radio over at amazing.greatdetectives.net. We're doing a great series, Top Secret, starring Ilona Massey, a fantastic uh, espionage adventure uh, for the summer. Uh, but we've done a lot there, you know, particularly this year. There's our whole Jack Webb uh, Centennial series, a celebration of the life of uh, Kirk Douglas, uh, a special podcast honoring Julie Bennett, and uh, quite a bit more. Just go and check it out over at amazing.greatdetectives.net. Uh, and also remember our World War II podcast, the war.greatdetectives.net, and the video version of this podcast at videotheater.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Mystery is My Hobby, and the title is The Eternal Triangle. Mystery is My Hobby. Today's drama took place in May of this year. Inspector Noah Danton had come up to my apartment for an evening of chess. Earlier in the day, a young man named Peter Sidney had received an important phone call at his home in Port Washington. Hello? Yes, this is Peter Sidney. Who? Oh, the state planning board. Yes, of course. What? You have? Well, that's fine. A million and a half to... Uh, just, just a minute until I make a note of those figures. All right. A million and a half dollars. Yes. For 520 acres of my land bordering on the Snake River in the upper Amanusik Valley region to be used as a dam site. Splendid. Is that agreeable to me? Oh, I should say it is. Very agreeable. Yes. Well, goodbye. Gosh, what a break. A million and a half dollars. Now Anita will be... Oh, Anita, come in. I was just going... I want going... to talk to you, Peter. It's quite important. Oh, and I want to talk to you, honey. Listen, the state... Please, Peter. What I have to say can't wait. I'm afraid to let it wait. Afraid? Afraid I'll change my mind. Afraid my courage will fail. It's about our quarrel last night, Peter. I thought it all over. The things we said were... Oh, is that all? Oh, forget it, darling. Look, I just... Peter, please. I've decided our marriage was a mistake. Oh? Oh, you have? I don't want to be unfair or unreasonable. We're not children, Peter. It isn't right to go on pretending. Have you been pretending, Anita? I'm afraid I have. I didn't realize it until last night. I mean, all those vicious words we hurled at each other. Down deep, I'm afraid we met most of them. Oh, nonsense. We've both been drinking. Things set out of a bottle are never worth remembering. But they are, Peter. They are. It was our real selves talking. Well, it wasn't my real self. 
I love you, Anita. You know that. I've tried to give you everything I promised, everything any woman could possibly want. That's what I'm trying to say, Peter. Don't you understand? No, Anita. I'm sorry. I don't understand. Oh, Peter, please, let's not be difficult with each other. You promised me so much, and I believed you. Oh, you've kept none of those promises. Could that be the reason you stopped loving me? You're completely selfish, Peter. I admit it frankly. I like nice things. I like things that money can buy. Anita, you know what you're saying. I'm sorry, Peter. I know it's cruel and unkind. I'm only trying to be honest with myself. Honest with yourself? Isn't that a little ridiculous? If you weren't honest with yourself when you married me... I thought I was. I was carried away. I believed everything you told me. So, it was money you wanted. Oh, don't make it sound so wicked, Peter. Am I so different from other women? I'm young and beautiful and desirable. I don't want to become a drudge. Well, you misrepresented things to me. Misre... Yes. Yes, perhaps I did. Perhaps I had too much faith in myself. Perhaps my hopes were too great. I did believe I could keep those promises. You know I did. Yes, I know you did. I was willing to wait to give you a chance, Oh, but... don't, don't say it, Anita. It isn't too late. Listen to me. My land in the Amanusik... How long did you think you could fool me with such a fantastic tale? I... I hate to have to tell you this, Peter. You probably think me rotten to have done it behind your back, but... I investigated that mythical property of yours. You what? Yes. I found that it was worthless scrubland, owned jointly by your sister and yourself, valued at less than a dollar an acre. You did that? Yes, I did. I wanted to give you every chance of being worthy of being my husband. Worthy of being your husband. So, that's the criterion. That's the deciding factor. That's what caused you to reach your decision? Well, if you want to put it in such a cold-blooded way, yes. If I want to put it in such a cold-blooded way, <laughs> that, that's good. That's rich. Stop putting on an act, Peter. There's no need to have a scene. Cold-blooded, she says. Me. Tell me, my dear. Just one thing. Who's the other man? Other man? Certainly there must be another man. You're not going to walk out on me unless you've got something better to go to. Not little Anita. She's too smart for that. Oh, I see. You do insist on being obnoxious, don't you, Peter? Yes, I'm obnoxious. Who's the boyfriend? Nick Wilbur. Nick Wilbur? Yes, Nick and I are... Peter. Peter, what's the matter? Nothing. Nothing. I'm all right. Give me a drink. Oh, here. This whiskey will help. Peter, are you all right? Yeah, that's, that's better. For a minute, I... Thought I was a goner. With your heart again. Are you all right now? Shall I call a doctor? No, no. I'm okay. So you weren't satisfied just to run out on me, Anita. You had to take my best friend with you. Oh, Peter, for heaven's sake, you're making me sound like a wanton woman. You are. I knew you'd act like this. I told Nick you would. He said you were adult that you'd understand. So old Nick said I'd understand, did he? Of course he did. He wanted to come here with me this afternoon to... Talk it over with you. Oh, that was decent of him. But he is coming over tonight for dinner, isn't he? Yes, we hope we could make the final arrangements then. <sighs> Good. Good. I'll be very glad to see my old pal, Nick. Yes, very glad. Peter, what in the world are you doing with that gun? Huh? Oh, the gun. Fill my glass again, will you? Nita. <laughs> you, 
You don't think I'd do anything so melodramatic as to shoot you? Oh, not me, honey. People who shoot other people go to the electric chair. I'm quite comfortable where I am. Peter, put it down. Guns frighten me. Do they? Ah, what a pity. Perhaps you'd better leave. Yes, I, I think you'd better leave me alone, Anita, if guns frighten you. There's your drink, but... Peter, I do wish you'd put that gun away. Get out. Get out now. All right, I'll go. Goodbye, Peter. Afraid of guns, is she? Ah, cold-blooded, she calls me. Me. A million and a half bucks. Yeah, that's me. Old, cold-blooded Pete. A millionaire. <laughs> and, and Nick's coming to dinner tonight to apologize for stealing my wife. Oh, that's good. That's rich. My old pal, Nick, and Anita, who was afraid of guns. I drink to the lovebirds. Sit still, Inspector. I'll answer it. Oh, sure, sure. Just when I'm about to put you in a checkmate, the telephone rings. Yes, Drake speaking. What? Who's calling, please? I see. You want to report a murder. I knew it. Just when we get settled down for a nice, quiet evening of chess. Quiet, Inspector. What makes you think it's a murder? I see. Uh-huh. But there's no proof that... A million and a half. Yeah, certainly. That's an admirable motive for murder. I've never heard of any better. Yes, I do, but since you won't tell me your name, how do I know... I see. And tomorrow morning's mail. All right. We'll take the case. We'll take the case, he says. Why the yes, heck... Yes, within an hour. Goodbye. Is your car outside, Inspector? Sure, but... Fine, let's get started. We're going to investigate a murder. Now, wait a minute, Bart. How do you know... I don't, Inspector. In fact, my informant, who refuses to give his name says that when we arrive on the scene, we'll be told that Mr. Sidney died from natural causes. Is that a fact? But upon investigation, we will discover he died of unnatural causes. Well, well, was this informant of yours a man or a woman? I strongly suspect that it was a woman trying to disguise her voice to sound like a man. Sounds screwy. Did he or she tell you who was responsible for these unnatural causes taking place? No, but he or she is willing to pay us for finding out. Inspector, get your hat. <laughs> Nick! Nick, is that you? Anita, what's wrong? Oh, Nick, I'm so glad you've come. What's the matter, honey? What's happened? It's Peter, Nick. He's locked himself in his study. He's been there since this afternoon. He won't speak to me. I can see him through the window, but when I call, he won't answer. Did you tell him about... Us? Yes, this afternoon. Mm. First, I thought he was going to be decent about it, and then he took a gun from his desk. Gun? Peter? <laughs> I can't imagine Peter with a gun. What did he do, threaten you? No, I, I told him to put it away that I was afraid of guns. He just laughed, a sort of wild, maniacal laugh, and told me get, to get out. Well, in a way, I can't blame him. Telling him that you wanted a divorce to marry me must have been quite a shock. I'm not so sure that it was. Sometimes I think he was almost glad. There was something strange about his attitude, Nick. It wasn't like Peter at all. Did you know that I was coming to dinner tonight? And why? Yes, I told him. Good. Let's go up to the house. 
I think I can explain things so we'll understand. We've been friends a long time. Let's go around this way. Hmm. We can see Peter sitting at his desk through the window. Yes, poor old Pete. He's always been such a mousy little character. Hard to imagine him objecting to anything. Oh, he's weak. I don't know why I ever married him. Here, look. You can see him at the desk in his study on the second floor. Yeah. Yeah. He has the reading lamp arranged as though he might be working. Peter? Peter? Funny, he doesn't answer. Oh, he's just being stubborn like a spoiled child. Is there any other way of getting into the study other than the door from the hall? No, and he's locked the door on the inside. Hmm. I don't imagine we'll have much trouble unlocking it. Any key to the other rooms in the house will probably fit. Oh, why should we bother? If he wants to sulk, let him. I think we ought to settle this now. After all, Peter's still your husband. Come along. Peter. Peter. Oh, let him alone, Nick. He's always thought that acting like a spoiled child will get him what he wants. Well, this time... No. Peter might sulk, but he wouldn't go to this extreme. Let me take that key. It probably won't fit. Here. Well, unless Pete's had a special lock put on the door. Ah, there, I knew it would. Still at his desk. Hello, Pete. Nick, he, he didn't even look up. Oh, Nick, don't touch him. Pete, what's eating you? Good Lord. Nick. Nick, what's the matter with him? Why did he fall over like that? Peter. Dead, Anita. Dead? Oh, no. Oh, no. He must have died while I was sitting at his desk. His heart. Yes, that was it. He had a heart attack this afternoon when I told him I was in love with you. It must have been more than he could take. Poor guy. Well, it had to come sooner or later, I suppose. What a pity it couldn't have happened before he knew about us. Nick, what are we going to do? Do? Summon a doctor, I suppose. There'll have to be a report. Nick, look. Hmm. Note written in Peter's handwriting. Good Lord. What is it, Nick? What does it say? State planning board. One and a half million dollars for land in Amanusa Valley. Anita, the state planning board is paying Peter a, a million and a half dollars for his land so they can build a dam. Paying, paying Peter a million and a half dollars? Yes, read it yourself. A million and a half dollars, Anita. Now it's all yours. Oh, no. Oh, no, it can't be. Not for that old scrubland. Peter. Peter, why did you do it? We could have been so happy. died of natural causes, Mrs. Sidney. Of course Peter died of natural causes. He had a heart attack this afternoon. I was with him. Besides, Dr. Barry has already signed his report. Did uh, Dr. Barry perform an autopsy, Mrs. Sidney? Well, of course he didn't perform an autopsy. Why should he? To determine the real cause of your husband's death, lady. That's usually why autopsies are performed. They don't have to be sarcastic, Inspector Denton. We did everything we were supposed to do. It seems to me that your quarrel is with Dr. Barry, not with us. Well, maybe you're right at that, son. We'll get hold of Doc Barry and have a talk with him. Why should you do that? 
I'll not let you perform an autopsy on my husband's body. I received a telephone call, Mrs. Sidney. We were told that your husband had been murdered. That when we arrived here, we would be informed that he died of natural causes. And that's the way it worked out. So that's why we're suspicious. Who made the telephone call? We don't know. I knew it. You're lying. This is some kind of hoax. I don't believe a word of it. Is it true, Mrs. Sidney, that your husband received an offer from the state planning board of a million and a half dollars for some land he owned in the Amanusik Valley? Well, how did you know that? I'll inform it on the telephone, Porter. You see, if he knew that much, it's quite likely he knew other things, too. Especially when you failed to mention anything about that million and a half bucks. Well, why should I mention it? What business is it of yours? None at all, Mrs. Sidney. Except that we already checked with the state planning board and we've learned that no such offer was made to your husband. No such offer made? Well, it's nonsense. I thought I saw the note myself. What note, Wilbur? Why, the note that Peter wrote. Must have taken it down over the phone. We found it lying on his desk. Mm -hmm. May we see it? Of course. You need to show him the note. No, why should I? Well, all right. Here it is. Thank you. Hmm. There's no doubt that your husband thought he was being offered a price for his land, Mrs. Sidney. What do you mean, thought he was being made the offer? What possible reason could he have had for writing that note unless he'd been made the offer? The way we figure it, lady, a million and a half bucks is as good a motive for murder as any. Motive for murder? Well, who'd know about the offer besides... Yes, besides you, Mrs. Sidney. And, of course, your boyfriend here. Now, see here, Dan. Isn't it true that you two are in love with each other? And didn't the lady tell her husband this afternoon that she was leaving him cold? But how... Could you know that? Oh, we get around. Just answer me one question. Wouldn't you stand to inherit that million and a half if your husband should die? Well, no, not all of it. Peter owned the land jointly with his sister. His sister? Yes, her name is Clara Sidney. She lives on the other side of town. If you're looking for people with motives, why don't you talk to her? She hated me because she claimed I abused her precious brother. Oh, we'll talk to her, all right. Why should you? Why should you talk to any of us? If what you say is true, no offer for the man was made by the planning board, and therefore there wasn't any reason for anyone to want to kill Peter. That's just the point. What we want to know is, was the note a scheme of Sidney's to give someone a motive for murder? Give someone a motive. Yeah, figure it like this. Maybe Sidney was suspicious of someone. Maybe he reasoned that if that someone had a strong enough motive, they'd try to knock him off. Then he'd know what the score was. Oh, that's fantastic. Sure it is. Motives for a murder are always fantastic. So we got to bring everything out into the daylight, understand? We want to know who it was called us on the telephone and why. But more important, we're anxious to learn whether or not Peter Sidney died of natural causes. Of course he did. I see it all now. This afternoon, I told him that I felt our marriage was a failure, and I was going to divorce him to marry Nick. Peter had a heart attack, but recovered. Must have been more serious than I thought. He knew he was going to die. He wrote that note to gain revenge on Anita. He wanted her to think he was rich. And then he just sat there and waited to die. Nope, we can't buy that. It doesn't add up. Oh, I'll answer. If you don't mind, Mrs. Sidney, I'll take it. Yes? Oh, yes, Dr. Barry. Uh-huh. I see. What? Are you sure? That's conclusive, then. All right. Thank you very much, Doctor. What did he say, Mr. Drake? Dr. Barry's analysis proves, Mrs. Sidney, that your husband died of a dose of cyanide poisoning. <laughs> This is Sidney's study here, Inspector. Yeah. This is it, all right. Too bad we couldn't have gotten here before the place got messed up. Messed up, Inspector? Sure. How do we know what the setup was? 
Doc Barry had the body moved. Mrs. Sidney picked up the notes. Everybody had plenty of time to arrange things just the way they wanted them. Mm, that's because nobody suspected murder, Inspector. Death by natural causes. That was the doctor's first report. Somebody knew it was murder. Are we sure of that, Inspector? There's always a suicide angle, you know. Suicide? Mm-hmm. Then who was it who called you on the telephone? And why did whoever it was say it was murder? And how did he or she know about the million and a half bucks? Yes, that's what we're out here to find out, isn't it? Yeah. Let's see now. According to the stories we've been told, Sidney was sitting here at his desk. You know, Bart, now that I think about it, maybe that suicide angle isn't so far off. Apparently the poison was taken or administered with whiskey. There's still some whiskey in this bottle. Yeah, just say, for instance, that Sidney was in love with his wife. All right. She gives him the brush. He decides to kill himself, and he does. According to Mrs. Sidney and Nick Wilbur, the reading lamp was arranged so that the light came over Sidney's right shoulder. That would indicate he was left-handed. Yes, sir, that's the way it happened. I'll bet two bits that that telephone call was a gag. People who are right-handed usually arrange the lamp so that the light comes over their left shoulder. Well, Inspector... Coincidence. That's what it was. Coincidence. The sister called up, disguised her voice, and told Sidney that the plane he bought was buying the land. She knew that Anita and Wilbur were pulling a fast one. Hey, Bart, what are you doing over that window? It occurred to me as odd, Inspector, that Sidney would sit there at his desk with the lights burning and not pull down the shades. Most people don't like to be peered in at. However, I found the answer. Okay, what's the answer? The shade's stuck. Huh. Well, there's no use looking around anymore. I got it all figured out. Suicide. Suicide, Inspector. Sure. Didn't you hear me figuring out why it was suicide? No, no. Is that what you were doing all that time? Let me think a minute, Inspector. There's a false note here somewhere. Let me think. He says, look, Bart. I told you, you didn't have to think anymore. It was suicide. That telephone call came from the guy's sister. Suicide. Here, hand me that phone, will you, Inspector? Quick. I think... Yes, I'm almost sure. Look at the phone. Now what's happened? Who are you calling? Dr. Barry, Inspector. Barry, does he figure in this? Say. Hello, Dr. Barry. This is Barton Drake calling. Yes, that's right. I've one or two more questions I wanted to ask you. First, what time was it when you received your call from Mrs. Sidney? I see. And you came over immediately. Huh? And uh, when you performed the autopsy, how long would you say Sidney had been dead? Seven hours, I see. And you're sure it was cyanide poisoning? All right, fine. Thank you very much, Doctor. Goodbye. Well, Inspector, I think you're right. It was Sidney's sister, Claire, who called him on that million and a half dollar deal. Sure. Just like I said. Suicide. Coincidence. Coincidence, Inspector, but not suicide. If you'll come with me, I'll prove it to you. already told you how we discovered Peter's body, Mr. Drake. Is it necessary to go through all that again? I'm afraid it is, Mrs. Sidney. What time was it that uh, you talked to your husband this afternoon? About three o'clock. Why? Is that important? Very important. You say he had a heart attack when you told him of your uh, interest in Mr. Wilbur? Yes, he took a drink of whiskey. That revived him. Now, look here, Drake. Is all this questioning necessary? Well, come in, Inspector. Did you talk to Sidney's sister? Yeah, I talked to her, and I had the deal figured right, too. Oh. It was she who called Sidney and told him about the planning board buying that land for a million and a half dollars. Clara called Peter. Why, for heaven's sake? Because she wanted to give you a motive for murder, Mrs. Sidney. Give me a motive for murder? Sure. 
Aaron knew about you and your boyfriend here. She was figuring on tipping off her brother about how things stood. The thing is, she was betting that you'd miss the boat when you tried to knock off hubby. Well, that's out of rubbish. Of course it is. I didn't even know about the sale of the land until Nick and I found Peter. Oh, can you prove that, Mrs. Sidney? Prove it? Why should I? Isn't my saying it enough? No, I'm afraid it isn't. Because it was you who murdered your husband. I murdered Peter. <laughs> That's very amusing, Mr. Drake. Is it? Maybe you won't think so when Drake gets through telling you how he knows. Go ahead, Bob. Thank you, Inspector. When you came to your husband's study, Mrs. Sidney, you had the cyanide with you. You dropped it in his whiskey glass after he had his heart attack, knowing he would take another drink after he'd recovered. The cyanide works instantly. Oh, I didn't. Why should I want to kill Peter? That was at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Later, after dark, you returned to the study, popped Peter up at his desk, and turned on the reading lamp so that anyone passing by on the street would see him sitting there, apparently working. You're making that up. You, you haven't a shred of evidence. Then you locked the door with a key from some other room and walked down to the corner store so that you'd have someone who could swear you hadn't been home while your husband was supposed to be dying of natural causes or committing suicide. That's a lie. Tell him, Nick. Tell him I was with you all evening. Anita, you. You didn't murder Peter, did you? Of course not. How could I? I was with you, Nick. You know I was. Then you must have been with John Gray, too. John Gray? Yep. We checked up and found that Nick was with a guy named John Gray until he came here tonight. Oh, no. Sorry, Anita. You should have taken me into your company. Oh, no. going to place me in checkmate when the phone call came. I move. Was I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. What piece do you suppose I'm going to move? I haven't the faintest idea, Inspector. <laughs> Neither have I. Uh, say, uh... Oh, yes, Inspector. Have I got to ask? Ask? Ask what? Oh, doggone it. You know what? Now, quit being so hard to get along with. <laughs> All right, Inspector. It was the light. The light? Yes, the reading light in Sydney's study. You see, Mrs. Sidney said she hadn't seen her husband since 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well? Well, Dr. Berry said he arrived at the Berry home at 9 o'clock in the evening. He performed his autopsy at 10.30 o'clock and found that Sidney had been dead for seven hours. Say. That's it, Inspector. Seven hours from ten and one half hours brings the time of death to 3.30 in the afternoon, doesn't it? That's right, by golly. And at 3.30 in the p.m., Sidney wouldn't have been sitting near a window with his reading lamp on. Would he? Naturally not, Inspector. So someone had to come in and turn on the light so Sidney would be seen from the street after it became dark. Son, you amaze me clearing up mysteries that way. Tell me, how you doing? Oh, Inspector, I don't see why you ask. The answer to that is obvious. After all, you know, mystery is my hobby.
Welcome back. Well, we've had some cold-blooded characters, but I have to say Anita is a piece of work. You know, just the way she treated her husband and was kind of just oblivious to how awful she was. Uh, yeah, it is, it is definitely something quite memorable. In terms of the mystery itself, I thought it was well solved and I did like that the key clue, you know, Barton Drake called it to our attention so that the listening audience had every opportunity to uh, be able to catch that key clue. Alright, well, some listener comments and feedback now. Uh, Stephen uh, writes in, uh, today, uh, quoting from the episode Engaged to Death, today I've selected case number 72 for my book, Mystery is My Hobby. Uh, tonight's story took place three weeks ago. How does a case from three weeks ago get into his book? And that's a good question. Bill offers a suggestion, spitballing. Uh, I think maybe in the book, uh, the case had a date, uh, when it was written. So it, Start in the book. This story took place three weeks ago. The reader would know when the crime occurred. Just a thought. Uh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, you know, if I wasn't just going to be totally anachronistic and suggest that Barton Drake had adopted Publish on Demand, I'm what I might imagine, uh, particularly because I've not heard any other titles, you know, referenced other than uh, Mystery is My Hobby. Uh, what might be possible is that is the book that uh, Barton Drake writes, uh, and that there are different volumes of Mystery is My Hobby. Uh, so, you know, you'll have Mystery is My Hobby, Volume 1, and maybe there is some subtitle. But his branding is that uh, the titles, you know, Mystery is My Hobby, Volume Number, and, you know, then the book. So this, this is case number 72. Uh, and so it's probably from a book that hasn't uh, been published yet. Uh, he's written it down. He is teasing the reader saying, yeah, this is going to be, uh, in the new book. Uh, in one of them, this will be case number 72 when this actually gets published. So it's not, it's not current in a book that the uh, listener uh, could get and read, but it's teased that this is the type of thing that's going to be in the uh, next book. And a story, you know, like today's story, which happened, you know, uh, a few months previously, well, that might be out in the current book or a previous uh, volume of Mystery is My Hobby. You know, I am just speculating a marketing plan for Barton Drake, and maybe that's what he's following. Uh, we're not given probably a ton of clues in universe, but uh, I guess that's a guess as good as any. If you have any theories as to how uh, Barton Drake's writing career works and the radio uh, stories translate into the books, uh, I would love to hear that. If you have some definitive answer that proves me totally wrong, I don't know if I'd love to hear it, but I probably should. Uh, just so that we're correct. And in all seriousness, of course, you know, I would be open to that, though 
I'm dubious that there is actually a definitive answer to this, because this is a series that left a really light footprint in terms of people remembering it and resources being written about it, you know, as evidenced by the fact that we are really uncertain about the dates for practically every episode of this series. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and uh, thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Matt. Matt's been one of our Patreon supporters since October 2016, currently supporting us at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. Well, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Uh, next Thursday, we'll be back with another episode of Mystery is My Hobby. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.